0: For over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. Staying true to a rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. And watches come in four themes: diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture, so Oris has a watch for everyone and every occasion. Shop the collection at oris.ch/pressbox to go your own way. David, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick joined the presidential race on Thursday. What I want to know is, what Deval Patrick pun headlines are you most looking forward to?
1: Oh, um...
0: (laughs) uh, That's a little more downbeat than usually (laughs) react.
1: I was not expecting that. Um... It's a it's a Deval world after all. Is that oh. does that count?
0: How about a piece that testifies to his honesty called Deval don't lie.
1: Uh, um Deval uh oh god, Deval bark and no bite. Does that does that <laughs> work?
0: Yeah, can we uh if he if he were to in a very unlikely turn of circumstances take the lead, can we say that the Democratic nomination has become Deval dominant? <laughs> Oh Trying my god! Trying to work god. in the NBA zone here for the Ringer, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think that might be the winner.
0: We are the decline and devolve of media podcasts. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer podcast network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. We got lots and lots of stuff to get to today. We'll talk about the controversy at Northwestern's student newspaper, a journalist's favorite go-to phrase, plus your listener mail and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, let us begin with the impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump, which began on Wednesday. Here is Nancy Pelosi speaking to reporters on Thursday morning. And David, I want you to listen to the newish word she uses. It's not quid pro quo the Democrats are trying to
2: reveal. It's... Mm -hmm. The devastating testimony corroborated evidence of bribery uncovered in the inquiry and that the president abused power and violated his oath by threatening to withhold military aid and a White House meeting in exchange for an investigation into his political rival, a clear attempt of the president to give himself the advantage in the 2020 election.
0: So not quid pro quo, bribery. And I thought Jeffrey Toobin had a good line on CNN this morning. He said, this is a smart tactical move for Democrats because guess what? The American voter does not speak Latin by and large. So moving from quid pro quo to bribery feels like something that's going to be much more sellable to the American public.
1: And bribery, I, I believe one of the technical distinctions is that it's actually uh, uh, mentioned by name in the Constitution. Is that right, Chris? Am I saying that? I think so. Um, and they're actually like it's not. This isn't some like hypothetical act of dereliction of duty or vaguely treasonous act. This is something that it's, it's actually mentioned by name. And so the accusation, especially coming from, I think Pelosi, is is pretty significant, right? I mean that 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 she would, um, after. You know uh, a, a much seeming deliberation um be fully sort of leading the charge on this,
0: yeah, this is the same person who didn't really want to start an impeachment inquiry at all at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Now she's sort of leaning into the framing of the of the charges, which was interesting. The first day of hearings David on Wednesday featured William Taylor, diplomat and George Kent from the State Department, who was notable for wearing a bow tie. <laughs> I read some of the bow tie coverage. It should no longer be allowed in a news article to use as a data point that George Kent's bow tie got its own Twitter account. Like that, that that's like an eight years ago data point. Yeah, like everything got its own Twitter account. Like it didn't. It, it's like when the college football writers for ten years would use, "Hey, there's a website that exists that wants to fire this coach." You know, that's like we're saying we should fire the coach. Okay, that's for every coach. We we got it. You know, it's not 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 notable anymore. I really like Mark Leibovich's piece in the New York Times the way he kind of summed up the first day let me quote from him and he says this collision was probably inevitable from the second the 45th president took his hand off the bible in January 2017 it was a clash between Trump Washington and old Washington the disruptor and the and the disrupted the bull and the china shop the city is filled with bill taylor types They are steady and unsung and proud to order their service by the number of administrations of both parties they served in. What he's talking about is Trump's whole administration has been essentially him, you know, sort of doing everything he can not to actually drain the swamp, but to sort of change the, the swamp. Yeah, right. Exactly. Rub the swamp's nose in, 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 you know, in everything he can. And when you see those guys come up yesterday, how sort of dorky they look, how official they look, how, you know, very important it is to somebody like Taylor to say, I am not here as the Democrat star witness to take down Trump. I am merely here to say everything that I know. That is, in a nutshell, is it not? one story of the Trump administration.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Although I think that kind of, that's the question that's kind of strangely at the crux of, of the whole investigation, um, the whole impeachment uh, investigation that's going on right now, which is to say that, like, I think Trump would be happy for us all to believe that this confrontation was inevitable, right? I mean, that's, his defense is almost that, I mean, at least the way that he puts it forward on Twitter is that, is that this is the swamp coming to get him? Yep. Um, after he's stayed. tried to to drain it, and I don't think that I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive, but I do think that it's worth you know clarifying repeatedly as as someone like Leovich makes you know such it's a smart point such as that that like there are, there are other Trumps in the world that would not have <laughs> that would not have put themselves in the position of getting impeached, right? I mean, if you there's a lot of there was a lot of loud. I mean, if our if, if we're dealing with like president, I mean, like, I can't even think of someone who's. I mean, Mike Bloomberg, I was going to say, but he was obviously he obviously has worked in public office before. But if you put like, if President, you know, Carl Icahn was sitting there, I'm not sure that he would have been like <laughs> trying to bribe the pres the, the president elect of Ukraine. You know, I mean that the, these things are not necessarily dependent on one another. Um, but yeah, okay. I mean, in, in some ways I, I see the inevitability. Like I said, Trump, Trump's happy for us to see that.
0: Well, and it's, you know, we we've sort of resisted, you know, you don't you only want to use the the terms like deep state and swamp with giant air quotes around them. And, you know, and and obviously not buy into Trump's ludicrous idea that these people are trying to take him down. But the frame the frame slightly altered is correct. The longtime, very official uh, denizens of Washington were trying to stop Donald Trump. That is what they were doing. They were trying to stop Donald Trump from going to the president of Ukraine and saying, please investigate my political opponents. That alarmed them. They intervened. Mm-hmm. Many of them intervened or tried to intervene, and now they are going out in public and testifying against the president of the United States. That is what's happening. That frame is yeah. correct. So – That, you know, that it's it's funny because sometimes I think Trump skunks up something like that. We go, oh, we just don't want to even go near there. We don't 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 indulge the president by by using his frame. But actually, that framing is pretty right. And and that's what these people were doing on Wednesday.
1: I agree. But at the same time, this is like saying, you know, there are certainly examples of overzealous referees in pro sports, but not every game should be framed as the players versus the refs just because the refs are calling penalties on them.
0: Right, but this started because a whistleblower filed a report, right? This is why we yeah. are here. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this particular right. It, 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 you shouldn't, turning it to are the referees crooked or not or good or not. Again, it seems like it benefits Trump, but this is, this is why we're here.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: Is that the whistleblower intervened. This has kind of been the control plus V think piece over the last couple of weeks about impeachment hearings. But but I think we should sort of indulge this a little bit, which is, is the American does the American public in the age of streaming, in the age of the Mandalorian and everything else, how many people are really going to pay attention to this? Or probably a better question is, as I rewrite myself here, in what way are they going to consume the impeachment hearings?
1: Um, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I, I, I'd be interested to see the ratings cause I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching them via the live broadcast on any of the major news networks or also like the New York times homepage, which was streaming it yesterday. Um, and today I believe, but the, but the, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that some people will watch, but this is certainly not going to get the attention that. You know, it, it it would have gotten the previous generation. Is that, I mean, is, is that the question?
0: Yeah. So I think we can, we can scrub away that it's not going to be like watching the gavel to gavel coverage on PBS like it was for Nixon. It's not even, I don't think, going to be like I'm watching court TV all day like we did during the OJ trial or <laughs> something oh, like that. Certainly not. But it is, we're going to consume it in a way just as much, but we're going to consume it through, twitter clips you know as you say maybe like you're at the gym and you watch a few minutes of it you consume it through you know the buzzfeed impeachment podcast through the daily and i just wonder is there anything that changes about the hearings themselves when they're filtered through like a hundred things like that in our new media environment
1: well yes i mean absolutely um it. I mean, there's definitely going to be some distortion. Um, I mean, when you have like dudes like and 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 far be it for me to single somebody out, but you have dudes like John Solomon, who's kind of the reason that we're here right now. He's the the reporter who who sort of fed Trump this weird Ukraine hoax story to begin with. By the way, you are um,
0: always welcome to single out John Solomon on
1: <laughs> and wrote about it in the Hill, but he's out there like live tweeting. So like the testimony and just like pretend like announcing bomb like non-existent bombshells that like support Trump as they as people are testimony, I mean, as people are testifying. Um, I mean that's just one small example that I was like lingering on the other day of like, like yes, there is like just, like utter disinformation out there in the world. Um, but I think even just the the more straightforward stuff, like yeah, I think that yes, there are just for every. I mean for for all the people that aren't watching, you know, watching the the testimony live or aren't even watching the nightly news like they would have during the Nixon years or during another administration. There's a lot of people who, who are kind of passive subscribers to the daily and such podcasts that are getting, you know, now the information on this every single day. Um, if like like you said, the impeachment podcast is out there. Rudy Giuliani is out there threatening to start an impeachment podcast, which the world desperately needs. Um, Mm. But yeah, I mean, everybody's coming. I guess there's there's a point of view on everything. You know, the smart, well-adjusted listeners of of the press box uh, are getting some sort of some sort of spin fed to them, I'm sure.
0: I think if we went back and looked at those 70s newspapers. Totally. You're totally right. We would, we would agree that the kind of analysis you're hearing now, if you're not watching Fox news or relying solely on John Solomon's Twitter feed is just on balance way better and way more sophisticated and just, and there, and there's just more of it, you know, as opposed to, again, in your local newspaper, one or two stories. I always love when people talk about everybody sitting down to watch the Nixon hearings. Um, People did go to work during the seventies, right? <laughs> and it was kind of harder to watch TV on balance during the seventies, right? Because you needed like a a TV set with it with with bunny ears. So it's like when those everybody remembers us like, oh man, remember when we could all watch World Series Day games together during the week? We could during the seventies. That was happening. People we just off work <laughs> well, did did do other things, right? Ah, uh, two readers, David Joaquin Nagel and James, direct us to one of the funnier parts of yesterday's testimony, which was. We all learn that maybe we're pronouncing the city of Kiev incorrectly.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: It is not according to the very straightforward straight arrows we were hearing from Kiev. It's Kiev. Kiev. Yeah. That was news to me.
1: I think just about, I think all three cable networks at some point <laughs> had featured people throwing up their hands right after the first batch of testimony. Been saying like, Kiev, Kiev. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Just forget it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, somebody who's like th- that's like I always love the great I can't believe we've been pronouncing this wrong our whole lives moment. That's um, what's the? But
1: this is this is it. I mean, we're we're this is America. We pronounce like every foreign nation wrong. We pronounce we pronounce the names of every nation and certainly most capitals just utterly incorrectly because we are historically don't care what other people say.
0: Yeah, what's the um, God? What's the Middle Eastern country? Oh, Qatar, right? Remember when we all learned how to oh, pronounce yeah. Qatar or Hatta at the same time? <laughs> Yesterday was kind of one of those moments. Another big issue yesterday for Twitter. What does Bill Taylor's voice sound like? <laughs> Listener Don Steele writes in and says, lots of jokes out there about Taylor's fantastic uh, game show voice. easy game show voiceover guy, sports announcer, pharmaceutical ad reader, or what? Let's listen, David, to a little Bill Taylor, and maybe we can narrow it down. Mr. Chairman, I'm appearing today at the committee's request provide my perspective on the events that are the subject of the committee's inquiry. I want to emphasize at the outset that while I am aware that the committee has requested my testimony as part of impeachment proceedings, I am not here to take one side or the other or to advocate for any particular outcome of these proceedings. My sole purpose is to provide facts as I know them about the incidents in question as well as my views about the strategic importance of Ukraine to the United States. Let me start the bidding, David, with the stage manager in the play "Our Town," and uh, can we go from can we go from there? What did uh, what did that delivery remind you of? We
1: got to get him. In, I mean, I, the first thing that, that sprung to my mind was like. Uh, it was NFL Films, I guess. Was mm, that, is John Facenda, yeah, John Facenda. I would love to get him in the studio, not not John Facenda, um, but Don, uh, but uh, Bill Taylor, just to have him read funny things. He could, he could, he should be the the guy saying like, "Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network." But for um, <laughs> Liz, but Kelly. also I would just She's love to hear him say Bill like,
0: "Taylor, yeah,
1: Buffalo lost this game in San Diego, but like the setting sun, the Bills will rise again."
0: It was right on the line between newscaster who was really big when we were kids and children's Saturday morning, you know, Captain Kangaroo style host who was big when we were kids, Mm -hmm. who was maybe right at the end of their run when you and I came of age in like the mid 80s. Absolutely. Because it was something just kind of avuncular about the delivery. I don't know. We Um, should
1: introduce him to Ken Burns if he doesn't know him already because he (laughs) should be... He can, put a, he put business. a, put a, put a faint violin behind him and this guy could just tell you about any point in history. And He's he'd be, doing he'd the be, Ringer
0: Podcast Network yeah. and the Nick Skin Burns documentary. That's incredible.
1: One more thing before we go, and I'm spraying this on you, but one of the big, uh, the, the one of the big surprises or something that was kind of positioned as a surprise yesterday was the appearance on MSNBC is of George Conway. Oh, yeah. Did you see any of this? Yes. <laughs> Um, I flipped over and was not immediately aware that he had never been on the network before or whatever that
0: this was like such a huge uh, unveiling. We've seen so much of him, or heard so much from him.
1: His presence, his yeah, his his presence certainly. I mean, is has been uh, consistent. Kellyanne Conway was forced to. I mean, was came out and I think said it was embarrassing after the fact. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think this is that's meaningful at all?
0: I mean, George Conway. In what way for our meaningful for our absolute entertainment?
1: Do you think the, I mean, George Conway is sort of constantly held up in the media as this totem, as this like, if maybe if no one else can convince these people, the white, the husband of a White House employee will be able to do it. Like he's, he is the, he's the, you know, he's, he he's, he's like an avatar for uh, disaffected Republicans in a certain way, mostly because of his, obviously because of his marital relationship, but also his, his outspokenness on Twitter. Is there anything George Conway could possibly say that could convince anybody at this point? I guess, and also is like, is that is his status in the media just totally superficial, or is it? Or do you think? I mean, if it weren't for George Conway, there'd be another George Conway. You know, the media would create a George Conway. But is do you think he's important to any of this?
0: Well, he is the true deep state, is he not? I mean, he's he's married <laughs> to Kellyanne Conway, right? It's an act of conscience that he comes out on Twitter and everything else. I I you know. I don't know. It's like, I think on this podcast, you and I have said it several times that never Trumpers have got to be the single most overrated class of pundits, but mm-hmm. George Conway may be the exception to the rule. What it? What is George Conway's next act? You know, do we get a George Conway book that's like anti-blurbed by Kellyanne Conway? This is that's embarrassing. Really this is embarrassing. Why did he write this? Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i have no idea i mean certainly he could i mean he his his you know he'll probably emerge post trump presidency with a, a relatively uh relatively healthy uh reputation um but I have no idea I have no idea that this is going if he's gonna be like the new jim james Carville. is that the idea that, that, that he he and Kellyanne are gonna be out there like doing like the husband and wife we disagree but oh yeah they're opposite to track show like, like carville and mary <laughs> Matlin or <laughs> Um, yes, Yeah. You
0: know, no, I think th- I, I almost said, I think that's right. I do think that's right. And, uh, I did love yesterday when he was, when she was on, uh, with Wolf Blitzer and Blitzer played a clip of George Conway and Kellyanne said, why did, why are we doing this? And he said, well, he's a legal scholar. He just, he happens to be married to you. Kellyanne Conway's response was he happens to be married to me. That's bizarre. I mean, she's like, she's now challenging like <laughs> Wolf word for word. on on how he presents it he's a legal scholar david all right time for the overworked twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media twitter made it at exactly the same time send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received news from the firmament david from the heavens a cnn tweet reads the milky way's black hole kicked a star out of our galaxy Milky Way's black hole kicked a star out of our galaxy. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, cancel culture is out of control. We have one of these every week, but I keep reading them because they always make me smile. Thanks to Scott Tobias for that. In international news, David, last Friday, a tweet noted that, quote, Japan's Mount Sakurajima volcano shot smoke and ash into the sky in its biggest eruption in more than three years. And there is an accompanying photo that is a giant pink cloud looming over the country it was an overworked twitter joke to write japan is having a girl thanks to Derek (laughs) burr i include that because jim cunningham our producer is absolutely obsessed with gender reveal stunts they will be the death of us all death of us all finally david get a load of this headline from cnn which you teased earlier with public hearings set to begin on impeachment rudy giuliani considers launching an impeachment podcast Everyone just got into the layup line at that point. Now, are you ready for some possible titles oh, for Rudy geez. Giuliani's impeachment podcast? Wait, wait, don't jail me. <laughs> this Ukrainian life. What? WTF with Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I still love this one. Uh, this would be a quote, a hypothetical quote from the Rudy Giuliani podcast. I don't know how Pelosi sleeps at night attacking our president like this. And speaking of sleeping at night, night, if you're not sleeping well, it might be time to try a Tempur-Pedic mattress. That's great. Thanks to Derek Burke again, Scott Tobias again, Julia Rowe, Don Steele, Jeremiah Ramirez, and Jump Six. If you named Rudy's impeachment podcast but forgot to suggest Crooked Media, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. And let us begin with the student newspaper kerfuffle that gripped a nation or at least elite journalist Twitter, last week. On November 5th, the former Attorney General Jeff Sessions spoke at Northwestern University at an event that was protested by students. The university's student-run paper, the Northwestern Daily, initially covered the event in a fairly standard way, and they were criticized afterward by protesters for posting photographs on social media of the protesters and using the school directory to get phone numbers to attempt to contact them. On November 10th, The Daily published a column apologizing for its reporting, having deleted the photos and retracting the names of sources. Then came the takes from national reporters, who generally argued The Daily hadn't done its duty when it apologized. Here's Glenn Kessler, writer of The Washington Post Fact Checker newsletter. How is it possible that a newspaper at what is allegedly a top journalism school would apologize for the basics of reporting? This is a travesty and an embarrassment. From Matt Pierce of the L.A. Times, I don't doubt the sincerity of these student journalists, but I worry that if journalists keep ceding ground on when it is acceptable to do basic reporting, we eventually play into the hands of powerful interests who would love to criminalize journalism. And on and on and on until uh, we get to Barry Weiss. Imagine that. Apologizing for the sin of committing journalism. This is chilling and a sign of more to come. But there were also some noteworthy and helpful comments. This is from Wesley Lowry, the Washington Post, talking about Troy Klassen, the editor of the Daily, who is only the third black EIC in 135 years, 135 plus years of the paper's existence. Lowry writes, only one of the black students in history to hold hold his position. Student journalists who make incorrect decision based on sincere desire not to harm marginalized campus group is publicly decried by industry's most powerful peren white journalists. Definitely a lesson to be learned there. What were your initial thoughts? on daily gate or whatever we're calling the Northwestern situation.
1: Um, I was so confused by it. I have to say
0: <laughs> I will, I think, I think we that were, is the, the, the proper, uh, the proper initial take. Yes.
1: Uh, we were, we were discussing it in the, in the Brooklyn ringer office, um, earlier today and our, uh, uh, East Coast chief Donnie Quack, I think, had the best response, which is this is a perfect uh, twenty nineteen kerfluffle, everybody comes out looking bad. Um it's a it's a it's a it's a weird situation. Um I'm not <laughs> I kind of understand the pressures that everybody's under, but at the same time it just seems like, you know, it's okay to it's 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 okay. I mean, especially from a journalistic outpost, regardless of, you know, it being a college thing or whatever else, it just seems like it's okay to ignore. Maybe if we all just agreed to, out, to ignore some some outrage, uh, at least give it a chance to breathe before we reacted really quickly, we wouldn't find ourselves in such situations. Absolutely, I don't know what what was what was your take?
0: No, well that's that's take number one is you can wait ten minutes, uh, you know, or you can wait a day to have a take on the Northwestern student newspaper. If you're like a big reporter at the times of the post, it's, it's okay just to take a breath and, and maybe, and maybe learn more or think about it a little bit before you go in on the students. I did, I wrote a piece. I looked this up. I think it was in 2005. Um, it was about a slightly similar incident, but it was the same genre, which is something weird or potentially embarrassing happens at a college newspaper and everyone reads it. And my take then and now about this is that college journalists should be allowed to fail in private, more or less. Like unless it's something that puts somebody in danger, or or, you know, commits a crime. What, you know, we could I guess we could imagine some possible exceptions. But the whole point of a college newspaper is you succeeding and failing without everybody outside the school reading it. Right. That's the whole point.
1: It's a, it's a place to learn. And I mean, it's a training ground. So, I mean, you can't expect to be.
0: Yeah, it's a training you to ground to make mistakes and to experience all these things that you're going to experience as a real journalist. And there, there are my air quotes right there. You get to you get to you get your first pass at them. Guess what? When you become a real journalist and you call people up, they're going to be like, why do you think this is a story? This isn't a story, which is what some of those protesters at Northwestern are doing. That's the exact same thing. You're going to get to deal with that again. You're going to deal, get to deal with people calling you up and saying, that story you wrote was so shitty and you had no right to do that and that was just in such poor taste. You're going to get that for the rest of your life. You should be able to get it in college without having everyone weigh in on every decision and every word you write.
2: Yeah, I mean, as someone who I guess was recently like running a college publication as in, a recent in the internet area. College <laughs> journalist. In the internet era, like, I wrote, like, a lot of stupid stuff. I, like, got a lot of complaints, and it stressed me out, and I felt like, it, you know, the whole world was collapsing, and it was very important, and I probably made, like, you know, editorial decisions that I would not make now, but I understand why the editors of, like, this Northwestern paper would make this mistake. Like, I I get it. Like, you're a kid. You're still learning how this is all supposed to go, and... I think everyone being like, oh, yeah, this is like a, a display of our eroding norms and about the <laughs> way that journalism is degrading. It's like, yeah, no, sometimes just kids mess up and it's fine that they mess up. And I, I it's it's wild to me how everyone came out of this looking bad except for the dean of the school who is just like, yeah, the kids messed up, but also their kids that seems like it should be pretty obvious yeah also
0: charles whitaker right is the dean of the j school there go ahead sorry
2: he he had a he released a statement two days after basically being like hey protesters like maybe give the journalists a break hey national media also give the journalists a break um they tried their best and uh another some input that i got from another journalist about my age he was at syracuse recently and so the the daily also northwestern is financially independent from the university and i think a lot of the papers that are independent really take a lot of pride in not being attached to the school not being attached to the administration you know not yes. taking their cues from the outside and this is probably a situation where if you at least talk to your faculty advisor or somebody with a bit like who probably don't see it with as much tunnel vision they might be able to give you some help but in this case, I guess that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and 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 that you know, and and it's okay, right? Yeah, it's not the it's not the end of reporting as we know it. It really won't. And you know what? A lot of these the the these the kids who are on that paper who decide to get into this godforsaken profession, they're they're going to learn new stuff from day one of their new of their jobs. That that's what happens.
2: They're going to you know? be ready for this next time. Totally. It's, that's you know this is good. I, it's it's wild it's wild to me also that just everyone didn't think this immediately like that that all the people who should have the perspective weren't like viewing this as the end of the world like i would have when i was in college yeah i mean i mean
0: (laughs) i just i remember that everything in a college newspaper seemed totally apocalyptic you know fraternity hazing seemed apocalyptic some something that the administration did which i couldn't even i couldn't you couldn't you know, give me two years to try to remember now that I'm sure I wrote some outraged editorial about, I have no, just no memory of what it was, uh, parking spaces, you know, just like some protest on it. Everything was apocalyptic. And by the way, at the daily text where I, where I served my very, uh, please don't go back and find the, the, uh, editorials tenure. We, we did the, we did the like staff editorial. And then at the bottom was a reproduction of our signature like out of every So I wrote like uh-huh. a, 400 words and then there was my, my name signed below it. Like I was one of the founding fathers or something. I mean, talk about pretentious. <laughs> here's my, it's not just a signed editorial. It is literally a signed editorial. Like here's my autograph. I just, I mean, I'm so glad, and this was back mostly That's... in the newspaper, like the actual analog paper era. I'm so glad that was not being read by national journalists. I can't imagine.
1: I'm sure that whoever put your signature down there, ever decided on that was really just like, they got the new edition of Adobe PageMaker and they were just really (laughs) feeling their oats, you know?
0: (laughs) My favorite part too, being a college journalist is, I'm sure Chris had this experience too. I heard a quote from Frederick Jackson Turner in class, right? And then I started an editorial in the paper with the quote from Frederick Jackson Turner and the only question was how many seconds elapsed between me hearing that in like government 102 and me putting it into the paper. I was so excited to show off that I knew something <laughs> and that I could begin with a little, you know, a little classical quotation there to really because I'm sure, you know, somebody reading it between sophomore year and junior really give a shit about Fre- Frederick Jackson Turner thought. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was just incredible. It was just incredible. So to me, this is pretty simple. It's just. Buzz off, go away and, and, and let the, let these people sort it out themselves. And they will, by the way, they'll, they'll figure it out. There'll be, there'll be more editions of the daily, right? It's not, it's not, it's not going to be, can, they, they can't be canceled. I don't think.
2: <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't worry, Barry Weiss. It'll be fine. It'll be <laughs> fine. okay.
0: Department David of the journalistic go-to phrase of the week. Uh, this is one of my favorites of all time, whether in student newspapers or adult newspapers. Usually it does occur in newspapers. It actually got into the ringer this week in Allison Herman's excellent piece on Disney+. Plus. She wrote about the increasingly blurry line between children's and adults' entertainment. Increasingly blurry line is one of my all-time favorites. And if you start looking for increasingly blurry lines as you read your favorite website, you will have a feast of fun. David, can I give you some increasingly blurry lines I found as Please. I was preparing this podcast? Please do. So, you'll read a lot these days about the increasingly blurry line that separates TV and movies. If you read a piece about our old pal Darren Ravel, you might see a reference to the increasingly blurry line between being a journalist and an influencer. There is an increasingly blurry line between ugly and gorgeous Christmas sweaters. A 2020 go to, increasingly blurry line between candidates and super PACs. Or, as the Washington Post notes, in attacking Donald Trump overseas, Joe Biden crossed an increasingly blurry line. There is also an increasingly blurry line between big data and Big Brother, between journalism and IP creation, between cities and suburbs, between mixtapes and albums. Sometimes you didn't even know there was an existing line that could be increasingly blurred. For example, the increasingly blurry line between brew pubs and breweries. Are those different? I didn't, really, I didn't know until, I was a, until the line had actually been blurred. Everybody loves the increasingly blurry line between fact and fiction between news and opinion, between the real and unreal, between authenticity and honesty. I read about the increasingly blurry line between movies and video games regarding something like about the Bandersnatch. I have no idea what that is. Is that a Black Mirror thing? I don't know what it is. This is my favorite, though. A National Labor Relations Board <laughs> story, right? It's literally the most boring possible thing in the world. The increasingly blurry line between protected employee activity lies and disloyalty in statements to third parties. <laughs> now raise your hand if you, if you thought there was a clear line between those categories <laughs> that has been only increasingly blurred, increasingly blurred. Look for it as you read, trust me, you'll you, send them to me. Cause we'll read them here on the podcast. Got a little listener <laughs> mail for you, David. This is from Jason McGenzie. <laughs> I love this. I love this tweet. Are you guys doing a bit with the different geo media pronunciations in the deadspin segments? So I, I think I say geo media and you say go media.
1: I thought it was the other way around. I thought I was saying geo until I oh heard God. you say go. And I assumed I was wrong.
0: I think it's geo media to answer Jason. We're not doing a bit. We, we just, we just get confused. So thank you for that. Our friend Chad Orzel, David says, I'm really enjoying the new recurring segment on the press box pod. David Shoemaker tries to find an alternative way to say, "I think that's right <laughs> i've noticed I've noticed that myself. You get right up to the finish line, and you're like uh, uh, i you're like, "I think that's largely correct. There's
1: some things that you realize you say and you can just cut them out of your vocabulary. then there's some things that you realize you you would you depend on so intrinsically that you can't <laughs> eliminate them, so you just have to find other ways to to accomplish the same thing, but yeah, it's a it's, it's, it, it, I'll do better guys
0: I think there's an increasingly blurry line between I think that's right and whatever else David says whenever he gets to that point that is correct alright time for David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline uh, there we go thank you needed David's uh, assent there Tuesday's headline about the movie The Irishman was uh, Hoffa you can't refuse and I didn't get any better ones than that in, in our uh, Twitter feed which shows you how, how perfect that is. A Hoffa you can't refuse. Today's pun headline comes from Jim Van Fleet. It's a tragic story from the site The Takeout. It turns out that Chuck E. Cheese, the restaurant chain, is undergoing a massive nationwide overhaul. And part of that overhaul is getting rid of the beloved animatronic house band, including lead singer Chuck E. Cheese himself.
1: Do you know what the E stands for? Entertainment.
0: There we go. See? Charles Entertainment Cheese. Uh, by the way, I did not know the name of this. Do you guys know the name of the band?
1: The Showtime. Oh no, uh The Rocka Fire
0: Explosion. The
1: Fire Explosion was the other one. This is um That's from Showbiz, yeah. Oh, I know this. What is it?
0: It is the Munch's Make Believe Band.
1: That's just not true. That's true. Know.
0: Munch's make-believe man. Okay. Have
1: you seen the Rock Fire Explosion uh, a documentary is really good, by the way, if anybody hasn't seen that.
0: <laughs> the behind the music of the Rock Fire Explosion. No, I'm Explo- serious.
1: There's a good documentary about the Rock Fire Explosion. Some guy trying to recreate it. I don't even remember. It's, it's fantastic. But go on. We, anyway, we have more important things to discuss.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you a hint here. I want you to think of a line that accompanies death in Shakespeare as you try to guess what is the takeouts? Strained pun headline,
1: Chucky or not Chucky? No, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty good. Uh, oh, wait, is that um, um, a death? Perhaps a
0: death in Hamlet?
1: Yeah. Uh, what is it? Um, uh, oh, 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 parting is such sweet sorrow. Is mm, that it? No,
0: no. Um, good, good night.
1: Um, what is it? Good night. Good.
0: Uh... I didn't, I didn't sit in freshman year drama with you You'd have you forget this, David. Is it oh. good night, sweet prince? That is that what it is? Now we gotta, now we gotta pun it up, guys. Remember there's um... a, remember there's a mouse heading up this band. Good night. So maybe a sound a mouse makes. Good night, squeak prince. Good night, squeak prince. <laughs> that is, that is it's absolutely horrific that's why I wanted to do it Good night, squeak prince bidding oh farewell to munch's make believe band well I already forget it was it munch's munch's make believe band Good night, squeak prince he is David Shoemaker right. I'm Brian Curtis Research by Chris Love made a production magic by Jim Cunningham we're back Tuesday bright and early with more lukewarm takes about the media see you then David
1: See you later, Brian. Good night, Squid Prince.
2: David, oh my gosh. who is notable
0: for wearing a bow tie, <laughs> how many people are really going to pay attention to this or probably a better question is as i rewrite myself here uh, in what way are they going to consume the bow tie? um it's a good question are those different i didn't really i didn't know until i uh, was a- and
1: sure I, i'd be interested to see the Ratings, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching them. Absolutely. I don't know
0: what what was what was your take? It was a clash between ugly and gorgeous? <laughs> we talk about pretentious. Is that it? Now raise your hand if you if you thought they looked dorky.
1: I think that kind of that's the question that's kind of strangely at the crux of, of mm. the whole mm. no. investigation. No. No uh, mm. This is America yeah. I don't know Do you think this is That's meaningful at all I mean In what I, way
0: For our Meaningful for our
1: Embarrassing after the fact
0: <laughs> Oh yeah the Opposite
1: to track show like.
0: I mean it was just It was just incredible It was just incredible So like, to me this is pretty simple It's just <laughs> Buzz off Oh uh, You're gonna get that For the rest of your life um, Guess what we disagree. Go away and, and fail in private, um, more or less. I was so confused by it. <laughs> Buzz off. Um, it's not quid pro quo the Democrats are trying to reveal. It's... Good, good night, night, squeak prince. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely horrific. Yeah.